What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the EPM Show. This is all things enterprise performance management, and we are here to give you an unfair career advantage. Today, we welcomed Robert O'Donohue to the podcast. He is the co-lead of the Anaplan COE at none other than LinkedIn. He's spent over a decade in the Anaplan ecosystem, about seven or eight years as a consultant, and then leading and growing COEs at companies like AWS, Mass Mutual, and he brings a ton of incredible insight to you as the audience from both a consultant and an industry professional. Some of the things that we talked about today are how he leads his COE with a big focus on communication and collaboration and building a culture that is solution-driven. And he also even dove into some real-time adjustments that they're making on their sprint cadence and project timeline management to ultimately provide the highest quality results while also managing to meet deadlines and stakeholder requirements. And we dive into a really good conversation around stakeholder management and some of Robert's growth and his own journey in that as a consultant and now in-house and just some of the nuances and the differences between between those two things. I think that you will gain a ton of insight and a ton of value from this episode and I hope you enjoy it. Check it out. And Robert, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good, man. This is going to be fun. I can't wait to just kind of hear a little bit more about you and your career. So I'll hit you with our patented question. Give me kind of your career flyover in 60 seconds or less whenever you're ready. Sure. Started many moons ago in FP&A. I work mainly at F IBM Finance. I was the standard FP&A guy, monthly cadence, close, variance reporting. And, but I was always the guy that pulled the templates together and pulled everyone to standardized formatting. And a buddy of mine said, you're probably pretty good at this technical consulting thing. You should go check it out. Introduced me to Bello, was with a small consulting that I was working with. And they got me into originally host analytics implementation. Then you also got me into Anaplan. I was one of the early adopters there and we kind of helped and started the Anaplan practice. And I was implementing and building out solutions for various product clients in, in multiple different industries in different use cases over that time and worked, you know, from model builder all the way to solution architect to running multiple work streams at that time. It was great experience, you know, and then moved on to actually working at Anaplan itself, you know, work and spending time in the customer success organization, helping out clients with their Anaplan journeys. And then moving on to some client work and working at AWS and Amazon, helping set up and establish their COE, mainly in sales hierarchy, sales planning type of SPM world, and also working in Mass Mutual to assist them in, in their COE hierarchy journey and Anaplan arc build out and now working at LinkedIn, doing the same thing. Um, it's really cool to hear that you have done the consulting side. You've been in-house at Anaplan, yeah. and now you are, are building and, and scaling and growing COEs at some of the some top, top Anaplan customers just looking at your track record. I think that's super, super cool. So I always love to ask a fun personal question to continue to get to know folks better. So Robert, my question for you today is what is your dream vacation and why? Oh, dream vacation. I mean, I live in the Northeast right now, so it's not exactly the warmest time of the year. And I am from Hawaii. I like the warm weather. So I, I am a warm weather guy. 
So I enjoy going on surf trips where new, where there's a great surf spot. That is what I'm looking forward to. Like in March, hopefully going to Costa Rica to, to go longboarding for a while. So I would love to go to Indonesia, you know, or somewhere in the South Pacific to go surfing because there's some pretty epic waves there. So I would say that would be my dream vacation. That is super cool. So we share a desire for, for warm weather vacations. I'm not a surfer, but I was fortunate enough to grow up in a scuba diving family. So well, well versed and exposed to, to just the tropics because that was always our thing. So I totally understand. I've never actually been to Hawaii though. I really want to go. So where, if I go, give me my, like, if you're, if you're in Hawaii for five days, here's what you got to do. It really depends on what you want to do and where you want to go. I would say Wahoo is a great place to start because it's the main island that has all the attractions, all the historical sites, and it's a great way to like get a flavor. And then it's kind of choose your own adventure once you get to the outer islands and depending on what you're, you're into. But there's a lot of different opportunities. It's a great place to visit. Don't stay. You always can come home, but it's a great place to go vacation. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. What's like, What's one thing someone should do in Hawaii that's not a tourist attraction that only the locals know about, but you're like, this is the thing. Could be a restaurant, could be a overlook or a hike, something. On Oahu, I would say there's some standard ones that are like kind of technically illegal. So I would say avoid those. But I mean, you know, there's in Hawaii, there is, um, uh, there's a hike that goes up up a hill, and I'm just blanking on the right the name right now. But there's a beach right near there called China Walls, which is it was a good secluded spot. It can get a little aggro if you get too close to the edge, but it is a very cool place to check out the ocean and and feel kind of the power. So I would do that. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, any anything with a good ocean view, I am here for it. Right. So no, that's that's exciting. Yeah. Well. Robert, let's let's dive in to kind of the meat of what we want to talk about today. Like like you mentioned in your career flyover, you you've been leading COEs, you've been on the consulting side. So to talk to me based on your experience and how you approach leading an Anaplan Center of Excellence at a customer. Just kind of give me your your high level thoughts on on the strategy and the principles you like to operate by. Definitely is a difference between advising on how to structure and build your COE versus actually being in one and leading one. You know, I think from being in one and leading one, some of the main tenants that I work with, with the greater members of the COE is a, just a general air of uh, communication and collaboration. You know, we are a team and, and the best way to, to work as a team is to make sure we communicate and collaborate well together and understand what everybody's objectives are so one can do their jobs and work effectively as a collective group and as opposed to concerned about what everyone else is doing or what other priorities might be happening and, you know, distracting everyone from their particular goals, you know? And so usually with the people that are the members of the team, you know, I want to make sure that everyone understands priorities clearly and simply the direction that we're going in, you know, and how we're, at, you know, at that point, because plans always change. And that, how we're going to get there, you know, and from a leadership perspective, that's where I look towards, you know, vision, vision statements, roadmap statements, mission statements to help provide that guiding light, you know, because from my perspective is I just need the direction and the end goal and, and I can get the team there. It's more of being able to get that from leadership so that I can help them guide the team in that direction. 
That makes a ton of sense. And it's just a reminder to me of the importance of making sure you have everyone rowing in the same direction. That's so much of your role as a leader. Communication, collaboration, and and having a vision that everyone is aligned on. Like I, I like to think of it, Stanley McChrystal talks about this in his book, Team of Teams, but shared purpose mm-hmm. and radical transparency. So you everyone knows where we're headed and understands what their role is in getting the team there. I think that's amazing. So Tell me a little bit about, too, I know you recently attended the Boston Anaplan Connect. What were some of your takeaways from that event? Yeah, you know, for me, it's, it's almost like a high school reunion. I, I know a lot of folks in, that, in, the, in the area up here and have worked with a lot of them in the past. So it's always great to reconnect with everyone. So I love the, those events, mainly for a lot of that networking and reconnecting opportunities. You know, from that particular event, I thought it was great was obviously always seeing the product roadmap. I always love seeing that stuff to help plan and dictate where you might be able to take your solutions. But the other thing was around floor, I think has got a lot of potential and a lot of possibilities, you know, always costing new features. But I think, you know, I think it, it has a lot of potential and a lot of opportunity to think outside of the box, just the standard definition of workflow. So I thought that was, well, my main takeaway, I think from it was sprint is a little bit more tactical around sprint sprint cadence and timing. So, you know, you're kind of sold in the Anaplan way of like a two sprint, two week sprint cadence, which there's a lot of pros and cons around that. In my current situation, we've been running into some inefficiency issues. And so I've been, you know, playing around with like, what if we did a three week thing? And, you know, I got a lot of validation during the Anaplan connects around a lot of different, a lot of different companies and clients are moving to that direction. And kind of opened up my mind to even thinking about maybe a more of a dynamic sprint, depending on the bandwidth, you know, vacation times layered in with capabilities and, you know, requirements needed based off of overall project plan. And does it need to be such a prescriptive time scale? So those are some of the things that I've been thinking about out of that, which I thought were some pretty cool findings in my view. I'm curious. What is the driving factor that would take you from a two-week sprint to a three-week sprint? And can you define what dynamic sprint means? Yeah. So for me, like the, the, the biggest driver around it is having proper testing time and PO sign-off time, allowing for business requesters to work with developers, Anaplan model builders, to make sure that what they said was what they got. Um, to make things like sprint demos more efficient and also, you know, reduce the t- the importance of UAT later at the, en- at the end of the, the time. What I found is that if, that if there's any inefficiencies, it puts a lot of pressure on the team. A lot of things flow over in a two-week sprint. So you got a lot of rollover and they got to do a lot of catch-up and can put a lot of pressure. Whereas I'm, what, the way I'm structuring it right now is two weeks of development with a week of like testing and iteration time to make sure that what is delivered as well as requested. It's kind of a symptom of issues we have in discovery that I'm also kind of working on and around requirements, gathering clarity, but it's kind of more just a building time to make sure that as we have this new team that we're coming together and having enough time to gel and communicate so that we can build efficiency. Goal is to move back to two week sprints eventually. And then that dynamic side is the well, I mean, does it, does it really have to be two weeks or does it have to be three weeks or whatever? It's a meteor chunk of development that's integral to the overall model delivery. Maybe it's a four week because that's a decision that's made, you know, and I know that makes deadlines very difficult to reach, but 
but I'm in kind of also a B, more of a BAU standpoint where I've already delivered an ecosystem of models and we're kind of working in an enhancement phase where it gives us a little bit more flexibility around timing and, and managing expectations. Whereas if you're in like a new model delivery, I could see where you have to be a little bit more, you know, prescriptive around it's, is it two or three for planning purposes, but it's just different concepts I'm playing with. I love the willingness to experiment, to figure out what works best and ultimately will deliver the best results for your stakeholders. The other thing I think about, you, you'd mentioned, you mentioned discovery and I, I, what I'm hearing in the principle of everything you're trying to figure out is how do we take slightly more time on the front end to really make sure we get the requirements right and we understand what the need of the business unit is so that we can deliver the end, the end product that they're actually looking for. Mm-hmm. Instead of going in with a mindset of, oh, I think I know what you need, really trying to not just listen to what is said, but what is, what is unsaid and really uncover, which is the art of any good consultant. How do I uncover kind of those deeper motivations, the five whys, all those types of things to really get at, you know, if, if X is the goal, then what are the steps we need to take to actually get to X? So I, I love the willingness to slow down on the front end because it'll make you more efficient on the back end. Another just, just curious question as I was thinking, you mentioned the, it can put a little bit of constraint on deadlines. Do you find that you have to navigate tension between a highly dynamic, rapidly changing business environment, like externally with the economy and everything that's going on and innovation and technology and the way business is done with like, how do we, how do we almost keep up and how do you, how do you navigate that tension? So that has been, I think the experience of probably a lot of the companies right now. And I think that's where collaboration and communication come in super key and that, you know, facts change on a, sometimes hourly, well, definitely on a daily basis and can readjust your plans and how you want to reorganize because of unknown things come up constantly. And the nature of the beast in some of our, in a lot of our businesses, you know, you have to make decisive moves with incomplete facts and those facts can change after you've made those decisions. And so that's where being able to communicate in a way that everyone can understand in a simplified way so that everyone understands, like rowing in the same direction earlier. It makes for those redirections a little bit easier to take because we all understand impacts to everyone, taking everyone's, everyone's, the impact to everyone, taking the consideration, you know, their impacts on everyone and make, you know, bringing them along on those changes. Cause a lot of it is, you know, ultimately we're not necessarily order takers, but we still take direction from our customer and our client, regardless, internally, externally, client, consulting, whatever. And so those, those, those winds can change and you need to be able to adapt. We actually just recorded another show. Uh, on, on another podcast that we run called Leadership on Purpose. And the principle that we teased out there and talked about is because the world is changing so quickly, like you said, you have to make decisions sometimes without a 100% of the information. The reality is that in today's environment, if you wait until you have 100% of the information that you need, you're too late. Like 65% of the facts have to be good enough and you just have to continue to manage the downside risk of whatever decision it is that you're making. Is this reversible and all those types of things, which I I think is probably a delicate balance in transformation 
and a tool like Anaplan because the investment is so significant, both in terms of people and technology, that you want to make sure you're continuing to get the ROI and you're getting the 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 information that you need to make better business decisions. Because at the end of the day, that's why why we use a tool like Anaplan is to plan better, right? Correct. And and you know. I got a lot to say on that. I mean, on that fact, you know, my, my biggest thing around it is not only like you being comfortable making those decisions, but it's also like making your direct reports feel comfortable with being making those decisions with incomplete facts, being confident around those decisions and being able to like speak to why they made those decisions, good or bad. You know what I mean? Like being able to fail fast so that you can adjust quickly without repercussions is the environment that I'm trying to create with my COE so that we can be dynamic and agile. Because if you get too stuck around a particular direction, it's like turning the Titanic and it's, you're too late, like you said. Yeah, when you, you talked about making your direct reports comfortable with being able to make decisions, like make it up 60, with 65% of the facts and the information that you have. And I, I, I believe from my experience, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, that a lot of that also comes from how we manage stakeholder relationships and leadership because your leadership has to trust you. They have to trust your COE that when you're making a decision, you're making it because you are the experts and you've also set that expectation. So, so can you maybe talk about the connection between managing stakeholders and keeping your direct reports comfortable with taking the right risks when you're making decisions about where to take the COE? Yeah. So, I mean, I lots of thoughts on that one too. Well, so my, more, my thing is like, yeah, I've as I've gone onto this side of the desk, I've not been super successful in that ma stakeholder management. Whereas in consulting, I was way, I was much more successful, I think, in stakeholder management and managing those uh, expectations. And I'm not exactly sure why, but to me, a lot of my intentions are <clears throat> always for the greater good of the overall plan and project. And that I think being more solutions driven to be able to manage up is much more of an issue. Um, and it's a skill that I'm practicing on to, uh, you know, to be open around it that I personally haven't been good on that need that I work on every day. You know what I mean? Because there are perspectives and, and experiences that I've been hired to provide that need to be clearly conveyed that give that help them make decisions, right? And that's the goal, is helping make decisions. And I think that is around communication and make and connection, you know? I love that you, you talk about areas where you have to develop, because we're all on a journey, we all have to develop and grow, and yours is managing those stakeholder relationships. I actually think that we just uncovered something really, really incredible for our audience there, because we, we have a lot of folks in our audience who listen to this show to gain that unfair career advantage. Mm -hmm. And many of those people, not all, but, but there's a number of them that I know of that maybe are consultants now and are ready to go in industry. So maybe can you talk about like that transition? Cause you mentioned how that was something you felt more comfortable with as a consultant, but then moving internal into an organization, I could just see a lot of other people having that question. So can you maybe share a little bit more about that journey in particular and how you've approached it and what you've learned from it? I probably originally didn't put as much thought into it as I should have. And I approached it as like another project or another consulting gig 
and it's different. Oh, there are different expectations around your role and who you are as a member of that project team, you know, and understanding what those are and being able to get your mind around it was some of the challenges that I, you know, I think were a tough transition for me because I'd spent, you know, seven years or eight years in consulting, you know, and that side was much more of, this is what we've seen in industry. This is my experience from what I've seen in successful areas. It's kind of up to you on making those decisions, right? Whereas now it's more of a, this is what I've seen in industry. This is what I've, this is what I know has been successful in other areas, you know, how, you know, and, and influencing it further to actually make that happen. Ownership falls back on, on you, right? To really make that happen because you know, it's the right direction and it's influencing up to be able to make sure that happens. Right. And so, um, making sure you have your story straight, you're, you know, being very crisp on your execution. I think again, the communication and collaboration are keys to building that relationship and trust to become that trusted advisor, right? That's really that piece of the job still transfers over. I think what I heard there is if you're a consultant, you're, you're there to be an advisor. You're there to share those best practices. And like you said, what, here's what we've seen in industry. Here's what we recommend doing. But at the end of the day, the decision stops with the client and you as a consultant, if you want them to build, build you a bridge to nowhere, you'll tell them, Hey, this bridge is going to go nowhere, but I will build it for you. Whereas as the, as the internal expert, you have a more vested interest because you're in the organization in the long run. And so you have to recognize how that is going to change your approach. And it's a process to learn learn how to do that. Cause like you said, you've got to actually get it across the finish line, mm -hmm. which just takes more time. So I'm sure that also for you takes more patience as well. It does, you know what I mean? And I think it's, it's like, what's what I've been telling my team members, it's like a relationship business, right? It's worth that time to build the rapport with your customers and your project team to make sure that there's enough trust and, you know, and openness to be able to say, Hey, I've got this problem, you know, to come to you for solutions. You know, because we're, like I've been telling, I was actually telling some of my team today, we're solution architects. You know, we are providing solutions, right? You know, we should be solving problems as opposed to adding to them. I love that. You've mentioned that a couple of times now, the solution, we are solution focused. We are solution driven in all that we do. It makes me think about how the way we drive effective solutions is we have a really deep understanding and crystal clear view of what the problem actually is. Huge. Yeah. I mean, I came from a very technical background on that side, delivering that side. So that's where, you know, it's understanding, like that's where vision comes down all the way from leadership, all the way down to like what the project is like, you know, why are we building these models? You know what I mean? And who is it? What is the problem that it's solving and making sure that we keep that, you know, in the back of our mind while we build out different, as we go through our, you know, implementations to make sure that we're building the right solutions. Incredible, incredible insights. So. Robert, this has been awesome. Thank you for sharing some of your journey through just leading COEs. I think there's a ton of practical advice here. I want to get you out of here on a couple of standard questions that we ask. So the first one I'm going to hit you with is what advice would you have for someone who is early in their career as an EPM professional? Oh, so that's where, you know, I do think as an EPM professional, you know, you're generally a process driven or technology focused person that 
you know, is looking to see what is out there. How is at least what I would, I would want to be open-minded and willing to take on any type of challenge. You know, I think that's where consulting really does give a great opportunity to see a very different array of projects, groups, companies, all those different things to help you decide what kind of corporate environment you may want to end up in eventually, if that's where you want to go. And I think it gives great exposure. You know, I think the past couple of years have been really rough on the last batch of consultants because of the whole separation and COVID and telecommuting thing. I think the face-to-face interaction, as much as it is tough, the face-to-face interaction piece of consulting and the travel aspect of it really does expose you to a whole different side of like, professional life that allows you, I think, an objective view to make your own decisions on where you want to go with that. I love that you call that out around the impact remote work can have on someone's professional development, especially early on in their career. Early. Yeah. I mean, someone who I came out of grad, I went straight through undergrad to grad school and I came out in the summer of 2019. So I had nine months of in-office work it was just getting my feet underneath me and then boom, everybody's home. And I've been in a predominantly remote environment ever since. So it does take a lot more intentionality and effort and focus on developing those professional relationships and best practices. And yeah, sometimes you got to get in your car and you got to go, you know, make a point to be there, make a point to, even if it's just meeting somebody for lunch, but you, you cannot, we cannot overstate the importance of being able to interact and solution and deliver in a face-to-face environment. So yeah, and it's muscle that you have to build and you have to flex consistently. Otherwise it atrophies just like anything else. You know, it's especially early in the career, I feel like, like it's so important to <clears throat> be able to build that skill. And if you don't do it, it's through the telecommuting world uh, environment, you know, that's a it's even more important on the communication aspect of it. You have to be so much more intentional around it. You know what I mean? Whereas those that have the advantage of being able to meet face-to-face have just a huge, I think, an advantage. And, and those that make that intention separate themselves than don't. And there's a lot that don't. You know what I mean? That's so good. So good. So, Robert, last question that I have for you today sure. is, you know, you, you've been in the Anaplan ecosystem and you've probably seen it grow immensely from when you first entered to where it is today. Very successful career. You've been at some of the top tech companies, leading COEs and, and growing COEs and, and been on the consulting side. So I'm super curious, do you have any sort of, you know, personal or professional BHAG, big, hairy, audacious goal that you're going after right now that's really exciting you and expi- inspiring you? Yeah. I mean, at this point, from a career-wise, I'm looking to build a world-class CUE and build out excellent models, regardless of platform or tool, you know? So my thing is like integrating now artificial intelligence and machine learning capabilities, which has been a big deal, you know? So that's been a really cool and it's going to be a long-term goal for us. Non-career-wise, I'm a purple belt in jujitsu. You know, I'm, you know, I'm on that journey. So trying to get to black, I'm an adult onset jujitsu guy, started my forties. I got a long way to go, but that's my big one. Adult onset jujitsu. I love that. So to two great BHAGs, right? Like professionally, I think AI, AI is going to impact the way we do business in every sector, every industry. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, I, I, one thing I've thought a lot about is you're either going to be, you're either going to be buying AI technology to implement it and change the way you do business. You're going to be selling it 
you're going to be building it. Everyone's going to fall in one of those three categories. And if you don't, then you're probably going to be out of a job. Yeah. <laughs> yep, that's right. You always have to be learning. Innovate or die, I think, is the, uh, the, the saying to live by in today's technology-driven world. But yeah, hey, combat sports will bite you and you will get addicted. I, I'm a wrestler. I still can't get enough of it. So I totally understand. Yeah. I, I love that. And best of luck on the journey to Black Belt. That'll be a heck of an achievement when you get there. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I'm looking forward yeah. to it. Awesome. Absolutely. Well, Robert, thanks for coming on the show today. Where can people find you if they want to look you up, ask you follow-up questions about some of the things you shared today? You can reach out on LinkedIn or Robert O'Donohue uh, and just shoot me a DM on LinkedIn. I'd be happy to talk to anybody about any of this. I love discussing all of these topics. So Awesome. Thanks, Robert. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Wherever you're consuming this, if it's YouTube, if it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, we appreciate you. Make sure you're subscribed. We have a lot more amazing guests on the way, a lot more great content. We're doing our best to bring you value and have fun while we do it. And we really want this to be a career advantage listening to this show and we want you to enjoy it. So it means a lot. Make sure you're subscribed for what's, what's to come. And also, if you're up for it, it would mean a lot if you leave us a like, a comment, a rating, a review, whatever platform you're on. That really helps and it gets us fired up when we see those. So I appreciate you guys. Find us on LinkedIn. I'm Blake Bozarth, my co-host Chad Pike with a Y. Would love to connect with you there. Have an awesome day. See you next time. Peace.